when most people think about Chicago, they think about the beautiful skyline, they think about the lakefront, and it's beautiful. But Chicago is made up of 77 different neighborhoods. Our church is located um, on the west side in the Austin neighborhood. There's need anywhere you go in the world. Anywhere you go, there's, there's people who need to hear the gospel. But Chicago, especially in the Austin neighborhood on the west side and on the south side, there's unique issues. For example, poverty is an issue. Many men and women, you know, through the 50s, 60s, even up to the 70s, worked in factories. And when the factory jobs left, um, it left a bunch of abandoned buildings and a lot of empty pocketbooks and purses and wallets. So you could drive down Lake Street and you'll just see just block after block after block after block, abandoned building after abandoned building that was an old factory building. That's left a big hole of poverty in our community. In our neighborhood, the poverty rate is 114% higher than the national average. You know, we fluctuate between 10 to 15% unemployment. And there's times where the last decade or two, where we, we've hit the low 20s. We're talking about numbers that's close to the Great Depression. So everything we see in the news about the economy booming, that doesn't apply to Austin. The food desert that's here, most of the uh, well-known grocery store chains that's in Chicago that's all over the city, they're not on the west side. There is no Target on the west side. There's no Starbucks on the west side. There's none of that here. Our school systems are funded based upon property taxes. Well, if the average household income in my neighborhood, a median income is 36,000, the property taxes aren't high, which means we don't have the best schools. But yet, you can go one neighborhood over in the suburbs, and it's a completely different world. But the good thing about the beauty of what God is doing in our community is the collaboration on the ground that never makes the news. We've been a partner with the Great Commission Collective really since its foundation and inception. And the thing we love about GCC and the thing that's very attractive to us that we are excited about is the desire for kingdom networking and kingdom partnerships. It's so easy for churches and organizations to operate in a silo, right? It's like, hey, this is what we do. This is where we focus on. And it's easy to just do everything yourself. At GCC, the thing that I love about it is we realize that in order to preach the gospel, expand the kingdom of God and reach our communities and reach the nations, we have to partner with one another. We can't do it all by ourselves. Our church is very active in the 15th District's uh, Faith-Based Community Initiative, which is made up of about 150 different churches, non-for-profits, um, after-school programs, all working collectively, um, sharing resources to reach the men and women in our community. They are meeting with kids after school. They are partnering with other churches. No one cares about who gets the glory outside of Christ. Working with both the secular nonprofits and Christian nonprofits, the police department, a collective gathering of churches, ministry leaders, uh, local community organizations, all coming together. There's so many different things that we see that are big holes and needs, but we also see there's an opportunity for the church to step in with the love of Christ, with the word of God in one hand and a cup of cold water in the other. And by God's grace, because our partnership, not just with the Great Commission Collective, but also with Send Network and Send Relief, Send helped us to acquire the building by purchasing it to be a ministry center for not just the community of Austin, but the city of Chicago. And this actually was built as a Catholic school over a hundred years ago. And the second floor and the third floor have 12 full classrooms here in this building. One of the things we're looking to do is to uh, take out a few of the walls and build an activity center. So you can put up there, put some rims up there, a place for uh, youth and children to be able to run and have a safe place to go to and interact. 
We really believe that God's gonna show us and direct us. As God's word tells us, right, that he's prepared good works for us to do, that we should walk in them. We're just praying and asking the Lord to show us what those things are. And so we actually see this facility as a blessing to the community. Yes, we have our church services here, we have our men's and our women's events and youth stuff, but really what we're excited about is to be able to offer resources to the community, whether that's tangible goods that's needed, whether that's uh, mental health counseling in our partnership with Moody Theological Seminary or after school programs or classes or the many things we do with the youth. When I think about a kingdom focus, what gets me very excited is the amount of partnerships we can connect with. I think a lot of times churches feel stalled because we feel like we have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's someone doing something. There's an after-school program somewhere. There's some mentoring things happening somewhere. There's a crisis pregnancy center. There's a food pantry that you could partner with. There's mental health counseling. You could come alongside all of that with the gospel. And so for us, we're excited about the kingdom emphasis that we could use the facility for. We truly don't want it simply for ourselves. We're like, man, who can we partner with to get inside this facility? It's 50,000 square feet. And the Lord has given us quite a few ministry opportunities and partners to connect with. To whom uh, the Lord has given much, right? Uh, much is required. And so uh, we just want to steward this opportunity well, but we're excited about what the building means for the community. What we found at Chicago West Bible Church, beyond a shadow of doubt, is that GCC helps churches to make a deeper and broader kingdom impact here locally and globally around the world. Through cross collaborations, through networking across pastors, leaders, church leaders, development, planting churches, and multiplying leaders for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Yes. Well, good morning. I'm, I'm Pastor Kent. Very good to uh, be with you. And I bring greetings from your uh, sisters and brothers up north on the west side of Chicago, Chicago West Bible Church. And yes, we are in the same network together, Great Commission Collective. So it's so great to be able to share and come together. At this time, I'm privileged to be here. Uh, once again, I've had a few times to uh, share with you and be here. So I'm very grateful for your pastor, Pastor uh, Ryan, and um, man, uh, this morning as well, uh, Pastor Mark, we're just so thankful, Lord, uh, spared your life and uh, has kept you here uh, with us, even just thinking about going on a walk, run with your wife, and so, uh, man, the, God is good, and uh, a lot to be thankful for, and look forward to how the Lord's going to use you guys in Scotland, so... Uh, so good to, uh, to be with you. And even on a, a lighter side, uh, anybody a little bit worried about uh, Pastor Thomas's turkey? I'm, I'm just, I was just sitting there and I was like, man, that's a, I'm, glad there, I'm glad there's a back. I mean, I believe in you, brother, but, you know, it's a little bit concerned. So uh, we can definitely pray uh, for uh, those uh, young adults as they gather together. That's, uh, that's going to be fantastic. Well, hey, our... Uh, text this morning that we're going to be in is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and we're going to go through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. Love that I see people opening their Bibles, getting it on their phone. And as we're going to this text, there is a clear appeal in this text from the Apostle Paul. And he is writing to the church in Corinth. And he's got an appeal to them about their perspective. Their perspective. 
See, perspectives, they're, they're very important. They're crucial in our lives. They really affect how we live and what we do. You know that? Our perspectives are our filter of how we see things. Simple example, a restaurant, right? If you have a perspective that a restaurant doesn't have good food there, you know, I was talking about how I like ethnic food, but if you, if you don't have a good perspective of a restaurant, you're not going to go there, right? But if you have a perspective, they got some really good food. That's tasty. Though, hey, that's, that's somewhere you might go. Well, hey, uh, back in the day when uh, my wife and I were married early on, I had a younger brother, and uh, he was in high school. And so we were living in Chicago, so we invited him to the big city to stay with us for a weekend. And so it was great, and we're going to show him the town. And so we decided to take him to this brick oven pizza place. And uh, back then, that was sort of like groundbreaking, so we loved this place. And uh, as we were sitting down, he's like, hey, well, what do you usually get here? And we're like, we actually get, usually get barbecued chicken pizza here at this place. It's, it's really good. He's like, oh, I don't like barbecued chicken pizza. And we're like, oh, you don't? You don't like barbecue sauce and chicken and whatever? He's like, no, I, I like that, but I just don't like barbecued chicken pizza. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, well, I was like, have you had it before? Is that why you don't like it? And he's like, yeah, I've had barbecue chicken pizza, and I don't like it. And I was like, well, where did you have it? And he said, at the Senex gas station. <laughs> so, so my brother was basing what he thought about barbecue chicken pizza based on gas station pizza, right? But it was affecting his perspective even at that time in a totally different place and context. Well, here's the thing is our perspectives really shape our lives. Just think about this for a minute what your perspective is of people that you work with, the people you go to school with, right? The people in your very own church, how you think about them, what your perspective is of what to say or not to say or to do, that affects how you live. Your ethnicity, your cultural upbringing, that gives you a perspective and shapes how you live. How about this one, your political perspective, right? Oh my goodness, that shapes the way that we live. Well, Anchor Church this morning, let me just ask the question, what is to be our spiritual perspective? What's the spiritual perspective that we're supposed to have? And that's what Paul declares here um, in this text. And here's the thing about this spiritual perspective. If we don't have it, you're going to be discouraged and you're going to be distracted. You just are. But with this perspective, it'll enable you to, to view things the way the Lord would have you to view them. And when you face challenges and difficulties in your life, this perspective will give you what the Lord would have for you. So let's read right now uh, chapter 4 and start in verse 7. Let's think about what this perspective is that we're being asked to have. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, 
so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For the for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This morning's message is living, living with an eternal perspective. Having an eternal perspective is so vital for us living the Christian life. Lord, help us. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us eyes to see what it is that you would have for us to take from this this morning. By your spirit, Lord, choose to give us what it is that we truly need. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to have your spirit in us to help us to see with an eternal perspective. So, Lord, would you renew this in us again? And, Lord, would you enable us to live this out for your glory? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, there are four beliefs that are right here in this text that give us this eternal perspective. Here's the first one that jumps right out. The ordinary carries the extraordinary. The ordinary carries the extraordinary. Let's look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Let's stop right there. What does this mean? That we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have a treasure. We have jars of clay. Let us uh, break this down. This illustration in 2021 doesn't quite hit land with us exactly how it did with those that originally received it. Because those that originally received it this is, they, they were right away made aware of this because this is how they actually lived. See, jars of clay, just think of pots and pans and plates and utensils that we use every single day for eating and drinking and all those kind of things. Jars of clay, that's what they used. But here's the unique thing that happened is because they didn't have a bank, a bank to go to or safe deposit boxes to put their money, to put their personal valuables, their treasures, they would actually hide them in ordinary jars of clay. So they would actually wrap it up and put it in a jar of clay so that if somebody broke into their place, they wouldn't know where to find their personal valuables, their money. And so it was actually hidden in these ordinary jars of clay. So as Paul uses this illustration, right away they directly connect with that, that that's actually where you put your treasure is in a specific 
ordinary jar of clay. Why does Paul use this then for a spiritual illustration? Well, let's go back to verse 7 as it says we have this treasure. And that refers us back to then verse 6. So let's look at that real quick. Verse 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is the treasure, the truth of what we have in him, that he actually is the reflection of God's glory, that this is the spiritual treasure that Paul is trying to illustrate and to give us here. See, here's the thing as we gather together as the sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ is that sometimes things get old pretty fast, don't they? You know, I'm somebody who likes to get a, chew a good piece of gum at times, and so you're chew- and I'm chewing away, and after a little while, that peppermint isn't so pepperminty anymore, right? And uh, you're going along, and I'm like, man, why am I still chewing this old piece of gum? There's no flavor in here. It's gone. It gets old pretty fast. I know we're about to hit Thanksgiving, but right after that's going to be Christmas, so we're just barely a month away from Christmas. And you remember uh, maybe as a child and looking forward to uh, Christmas, and you were thinking about maybe the gift that you might get that you've asked, you know, somebody in your family, you know, for, and so you couldn't even sleep the night before, you know, because you couldn't wait to see if you got that Christmas gift to be able to play with it, be able to have it, and so you open it up, you're like, oh my goodness, I got that Christmas gift, and you play with it on Christmas Day, and then the the next day, but then day three, right? It's a little bit, hey, you know, it's getting a little bit old, and by day four, you know, you're looking around, and you're telling your family that you're bored, See, things get old pretty fast. They do. But church, the thing that can never get old for us, can never get old for us, is the treasure. The treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. And instead of me just uh, speaking about that more, let's let God's word declare to us what this treasure is that we have in this ordinary jar of clay. And so I've just got some scriptures for us to read together. So if you're able and you're willing, would you just please stand as we just read about our treasure that we have in in Jesus? Here's the first one, our sacrificial treasure, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's read this together. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the sacrifice who knew no sin for us. But he's also the saving treasure. Acts 4, 11 and 12. Let's read this together. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, Jesus is the saving treasure, the sacrifice given to each and every one of us to receive the gift. 
but he's also the superior treasure. Philippians 3, 9. Let's read this together. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, nothing in this world compares to what we have through Christ and the righteousness that he gives to us. See, now he's also the sanctifying treasure. Colossians 3.11. Let's read this together. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. See, we're all at the same place at the foot of the cross and we're united together. Everything else fades away. But in Christ, that is who we have our identity because he is sanctifying us and making us more like himself. Here's the last one, sufficient treasure. Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Let's read this together. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, church, this is the treasure that we have that must never get hold. Amen? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I continue this morning, the one question I do have to ask is, have you received this treasure? Have you embraced Jesus Christ personally for yourself? See, really, there's just two kinds of people in this world spiritually. Those that have received the gift of Christ, to have our sins forgiven through him, and God's word says to have our sins washed whiter than snow, that then gives us the ability to have a relationship with God personally? Have you received that gift? And do you have that treasure this morning? There'd be nothing more important than for you to know that for sure. And I know anyone that's here who has received that, any leader that's here in this church would love to talk to you about that. So make sure that you know that you have the treasure. Hey, well, for those of us this morning that have this treasure, where do we have this treasure? We have this treasure in our jar of clay. That's what the emphasis is here this morning, that we have this treasure in our jar of clay. See, there's a picture here of jars of clay just to get an idea of how ordinary they are. Just a common thing at this time to have these uh, jars of clay. But here's the thing, they had a vital function. The vital function of the jars of clay were to hold a treasure, to hold a treasure. See, here's the thing. The value of a jar of clay didn't depend on itself. Its worth came from what it carries. It comes from what it carries. That's why Paul used this as an as a illustration to represent our human vessels, who we are, our physical bodies, our beings, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. 
See, our bodies, our minds, our souls are gifts from God. They are specifically designed, they're designed for a purpose. What is our purpose as jars of clay? It's right here in verse 7. It continues this. It says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, even think about that as we gather together this morning. What's our purpose here? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's why we gather together as a church. And this is so critical to living with an eternal perspective. See, here's the truth that we have to know. Is that God is not looking to show off how great we are in Christ. He's looking to show off how great he is in us. There's a huge difference there, right? Church, that we're, he's not looking to show us off. He's looking to show off our extraordinary treasure that we carry. See, John 1.3 says this about uh, Jesus, that he actually is the instrument for creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So here's the amazing thing. He created us, and now he's put himself inside of us. See, the ordinary carries the extraordinary. Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But see, church, this is what happens to us is we get easily distracted, right, from our treasure. We get stirred up by a lot of things that are going on in this world that are temporal things. And there's a reality of COVID, right, the pandemic going on. It's been really challenging. It's been really difficult to know what to do and having to wear masks and vaccines and how do you keep each other safe and all those kind of things. You know, what the government is doing, what the government isn't doing. You know, we also can get caught up in how others are treating us and what we deserve and what we don't deserve. And yes, we have to deal with those things. And there's a reality of living in this world. But we can't let them distract us from the treasure that we have, this treasure in our jar of clay. See, 1 Corinthians 6 says that we are temples. We are human temples for the glory of God. And that we hold Jesus Christ himself. Well, here's how this brings a balance for us to living with an eternal perspective. And I really do believe that somebody here needs to hear this this morning. That the Christian life isn't dependent upon your performance. See, the Christian life is not dependent on your performance. See, here's two truths that will set you free. They'll set you free. Is God is not looking to show you off. See, may, many times it's like this in the world that you've got to show that you can succeed, that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that you, got, you can take care of things, that you can handle it. But that's not what we're seeking to be doing at all. And here's the other truth, is that God is not ashamed of you because of your weaknesses. 
See, because he's not looking to show you off, he's not ashamed because we are weak vessels, because we have challenges, because we have difficulties. He's not ashamed of us. He knows who we are. I love Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how we are, are to live, and that will set us free. See, here's the truth. See right here that the weaknesses of our ordinary temple show off our extraordinary treasure. The weaknesses of our ordinary temple shows off our extraordinary treasure. So if that is true, there is no reason for us to hide our weaknesses. See, if you're hurting physically, if you've got physical pain, physical challenges, you don't have to be ashamed of that. You don't have to, you know, pretend that something isn't going on that's going on. That we are ordinary, weak vessels. If you're under spiritual attack, if you feel the enemy breathing down your neck, tempting you, deceiving you, trying to overwhelm you, that's what we have to deal with here. If you're struggling emotionally or mentally, dealing with depression sometimes, you're feeling overwhelmed, you don't know what to do. See, we are jars of clay. See, in our church, um, we, we call our small groups community groups, and we get together. And so as men, we recently uh, started a group, and one man in our group, right from the beginning, declared that he was a jar of clay. He was very transparent about struggles and difficulties that he was facing in all the ways we just talked about. But you know what that did for us when he shared that? Then, you know, another man decided to share and another man decided to share. And all of a sudden we were united that we are jars of clay. That we are weak, that we suffer, that we deal with a lot of things. But also what we could unite around is this. That we have a treasure of Jesus Christ together. And he is our hope. He is what we have, and it was so powerful to come together in that way to live out that truth. But here's the other thing is, there's no need to hide our weakness, but also there's no place to glory in your strengths. There's no place for that. we got to watch this one. See, we are glory stealers by nature. We're just glory stealers. Uh, you know, I know we just had the Chicago Marathon not too long ago, and uh, about a few years ago, I was able to, to run that and really, you know, love the, the first few miles and getting to see the lakefront and going along. But you know how it is, is it's getting up in those miles, man. It's like you're getting really tired. And then I'm feeling like, man, why in the world am I doing this? And I'm never going to run this thing again. I can't believe this. And uh, you're just getting there. It's like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And by God's grace, I made it and I finished. And man, I was just exhausted. My legs were so sore and cramped up. And you know how it is. You can't, you know, park right there in Grant Park. So I had a ways to go to get to my car. And as I get to my car, 
all of a sudden just see glass outside of my car. I'm like, why is there glass outside my car? And then I realized that someone had broken into my car. And uh, while I was probably running the race, and, you know, I had my, like, uh, personal uh, bag there, duffel bag that I'd used for overnight, and they'd gone through all my things in the car and everything else. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And um, as I'm driving in my car, it was just so weird to think about that somebody else had my personal stuff, that they were sort of going through it and had taken my personal stuff for themselves. Just felt a little bit like defiling, right? That that had been what had happened. See, church, why would we ever try and steal what is not ours? Why would we try and make it seem like it is us that's doing something when we know the only way that we have anything that is good is because of God? Why would we steal God the opportunity to give him glory? Because we're just supposed to be weak jars of clay. But then we say we have an extraordinary treasure. And that is what is a witness to the world when we recognize that and live that out, that we say things like, oh, it's only by God's goodness that I'm able to have anything that is worthwhile. See, we are jars of clay to show that his surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. See, we can read that right here. Let's go to uh, verse 8 and 9. These are our sisters and brothers in Christ and Corinth. What was going on for them with their struggles? They were afflicted in every way, but not crushed. They were perplexed, but not driven to despair. They were persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So they were struggling. It was difficult. It was hard. But they were turning to their treasure to get them through. And what did they exhibit during their suffering? What, was the, what did they show off? Here's what they showed off. Let's read in verse 10, starting in verse 10 again. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So they were showing off Jesus in them. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. See, we're always going to have struggles and difficulties and battles that we deal with so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, this is our opportunity to give him the glory. So death is at work in us, but life, but life in you. See, here's a truth that we wish wasn't true, but it is true is that we are much more a witness to those around us in our sufferings than in our successes. See, when you say, hey, you know, God you know, answered prayer and he gave me this amazing job and everything's taken care of and, yeah, I'm getting everything that I, that I want and everything's all together and it's, it's great. Like, yeah, you give an opportunity to give God glory, but you know when the world's watching you know when they're really paying attention? When you're suffering, when you're struggling. What happens then? 
What's your foundation? Do you truly have the peace that passes all understanding to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus in those moments? Is he truly your very present help in your time of need? We are much more a witness in our sufferings than in our successes. We live with an eternal perspective when we believe the ordinary carries the extraordinary. Here's a second belief that we find in verse 13. That conviction, conviction generates confession. It does. Let's read that right here, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. See, if you believe, you will speak. What does this mean? Let's look at uh, Romans 10, 9 together. Let's just uh, read this, Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, conviction, it generates confession. That's how it works. The greater the conviction, the stronger the confession. See, there's a, there, for example, would be like flowers. You know, if you see flowers and you think flowers are nice and they're pretty and stuff, and you might mention them sometimes. But if you're like my, my wife, Deanna, who believes that flowers are like life-giving, that they're one of the greatest of God's creations that give his uh, colorful uh, creation, you take every opportunity to share that. Hey, if we have a conviction of what we've been given in Jesus Christ, then we will have a strong confession. That's what we will do. So if we have this extraordinary treasure in us, we should take every opportunity to boldly declare it. And see, here's the thing is that we don't even have to generate those opportunities ourselves. Uh, recently, um, we had an opportunity as a church, and you saw in the video there that by God's grace, we have a building now. We were just uh, given that here pretty recently, our five-year anniversary service. We were able to celebrate for the first time in this building that we've been given, praise God, just this past Easter. Well, before that, we were meeting in Michelle Clark High School, which is a local public high school in our community, Austin, on the west side, and we loved being there. The principal was going to our church, and we were just part of the family of the school with the students, with the staff. Um, but uh, recently, very tragically, a 16-year-old uh, student, she was the captain of the basketball team. She was shot and killed not too far from the school. And her life was so devastatingly taken on a Thursday evening. On Friday, it just rocked the school. Imagine going to school that next day with a, a young junior in your high school that all of a sudden now is gone. And so I was texting with the principal on, uh, on Saturday, and I was like, we're praying for you guys. Is there anything that we can do? And you know what he asked? He was like, hey, could your church on Monday morning 
as the students are coming, could you guys just show up, stand outside the school, and could you just be present there just to encourage students they're not on their own and just offer the opportunity to pray with them if they would like that? And we're like, seriously? That's the church being the church. We'll be there. So we showed up, and you know what happened is so many students talked with us and allowed us to pray with them. And we were able just to come alongside of them and to say, yes, we don't have all the answers. This is challenging. This is such a struggle for you guys. But we got to share our treasure, the hope that we have in Jesus. And here's the thing I would just say for you. What are the the doors that God is opening for you to share your treasure? Was it that God's opening Anchor Church to have the opportunity to come together to share Christ with others, this treasure that we have? See, the gospel isn't just something that we believe in. It's actually who we are. Believe that that's who we are. God's word says that you are forgiven and saved to the uttermost. And the more you share what you have in Christ, the more you have a hold of it yourself. As Thomas pointed out, I've been able to be in ministry for quite a while. And I would just say this. Those that share who they are in Christ the most have a hold of that identity the most. Because conviction generates confession. Well, here's our third belief for living with an eternal perspective, which is found in verses 14 and 15. Let's read this together. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Amen. Well, you see here, here's our third belief, that resurrection guarantees our reunion. Resurrection guarantees our reunion. See, Paul was struggling at this time. He was separated from his sisters and brothers in his church, and many had passed away, some from even persecution. So he was fighting for an eternal perspective. So that's why he declared that we will be raised together into his presence. See, when death happens, it's not over. Hey, do you guys uh, love family reunions like I do? I love uh, family reunions and seeing that. Hey, you always see those like uh, cool t-shirts that, you know, families get, you know, with a design on them to represent that and gathering together. And man, I've been to a number of family reunions uh, myself and, and love that and uh, coming together and getting to see people you haven't seen for a while and all that. It's really fantastic. But see, no, no reunion in this world will ever compare to our family reunion in heaven. It's never going to compare to the family reunion in heaven. And when life is hard here, and when it's difficult, and when it's challenging, which it is, we have to remember that our family reunion is on the horizon. 
That's all we got to do is remember that our family reunion is on our horizon. And that's why it says there in verse 15 that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So you got thanksgiving coming up. Here's one thing to be thankful for, that our family reunion, it's coming. Well, resurrection guarantees our reunion. Here's our last but not least belief. The temporal yields to the eternal. The temporal leads, yields to the eternal. Let's look at verse 16 and through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Anyone feel like you're losing heart at times? This, you feel overwhelmed by the challenging circumstances? Well, here's the thing that is true, that time is ticking away. And these things of this world are fading away. This is how we don't lose heart, by allowing the temporal things to yield. What do we mean by yield? Just like when you're driving in traffic and you, let's, you yield and let someone else go in front of you. That we have to let these temporal things yield and let the focus to be in front of us of the eternal things that we are going to as Paul is seeking for us to have an eternal perspective. So lastly, as I just close, that's, that's a nice thought, but how do we actually live that out? What does that look like? We just have to know that our weaknesses have a shelf life. You know, here's the thing that um, you might uh, face has happened to you before. I'm, I'm a cereal guy. I love to have uh, cereal. I eat cereal sometimes in the morning, uh, in the evening, and I've gone into my refrigerator, and I open the door, and I grab the milk, and I pour my bowl, and I'm about to uh, of cereal, and I'm about to pour the milk in, and then I see the expiration date. I'm like, what? It expired three days ago? And I'm like, smelling it. Can it work? I don't know. You know, it's a little shaky here. You know, it's like, dang, I can't have my cereal because the milk has expired. So discouraging. See, Paul is just flipping this truth around. That's why we can read that this is a light momentary affliction. That's why he's saying that this is not minimizing the troubles that we have here. It's not minimizing them at all. They're real. But what it's just emphasizing is that they have an expiration date. It's going to be over. And we are going to things that will last forever. And they, the things of this world are coming to an end. That is what we are looking forward to. As it says here in verse 17, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So church is all right if I just pray for us that we would be able to live with this eternal perspective that Paul, even 2,000 years ago, was asking for the church to do and now we get to live out today? Let me pray.
Lord, I thank you for this time to gather together in your name. Lord, would you help us to have this eternal perspective to truly know that we are ordinary, weak vessels. Lord, help us not to believe that we're supposed to show ourselves off or that you're demanding success from us. No, no, no. Lord, would you just help us to know anew and afresh the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, would you live in and through us and fill us, Lord, with you. Lord, would you give us the opportunity to confess and to share our treasure? Would you open the door for each and every one who's joining me in prayer right now to somebody this week? Not trying to show off what we've done, but what you have done, Lord. Please give us that opportunity and may you strengthen us to do it. Lord, in these challenging times, Lord, I pray, Lord, that um, as we gather together in, at Thanksgiving, that one of the things we can just be thankful for is that we're going to have a reunion and be together for all of eternity. And lastly, Lord, Lord, would you just help us, Lord, to allow, Lord, the temporal things that are here to yield, to know they have an expiration date. And in our weakness, would you be strong so that we can have our eyes focused on you, the author and finisher of our faith in the midst of our everyday life. We thank you that we can hold on to this and believe that this is true. Help our unbelief. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.